This podcast contains adult language and adult situations. Listener discretion is advised. Trigger warnings for the following intense subjects occur in today's episode, including infant mortality, suicide, sexual assault, and rape. Listener discretion is advised. If you or anyone you know is currently having trouble with mental health crises in America, you can call 988 for the suicide prevention number. Thank you for your time, and now begins the podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cavalcade Tales. As always, I'm your host, Drew, the millennial with a history degree, who is realizing too, a bit later in his life that he actually wanted to be a folklorist. Uh, welcome to today's episode. Uh, we're going to start off, as always, with Season 2 with a Patreon question. That's right. If you support the Patreon at patreon.com slash cavalcadeoftales, we can start each episode with a question. Today's question comes from patron Elise, who asks, based off the last episode, who is your favorite fae and why? So this is a fun question because I never really think about the fae as like specific fae, like how the last episode there were like many distinct different versions of fae. I always kind of thought of them kind of like with the description of the ASC where it was just, okay, well, you don't want to deal with, you got to be careful with the fairies. You don't go into fairy circles. You don't fuck around on fairy mounds. You be careful with the power of names. But if I had to pick like a specific fairy, I would have to choose Pixie. Because uh, when I was growing up, a lot of times we always had to deal with like if something went missing in the house and we could tear the place apart and never find it. Uh, we always just said that the fairies took it and most likely that would be Pixies. Also, as a video gamer who uh, plays far too many Atlas properties, again, not sponsored by the Atlas, but if Atlas wants to shoot me some money, I will be a whore so quick. Um, Pixie is always one of the first demons you can get, and uh, you can actually uh, do a lot of good things if you keep those Pixies. Like, in, um, I have never beaten it, and I have to restart it. That may, may be one of the games I work on this year, but in uh, Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne, the like really famous one, you can keep a pixie that you travel with. She's the one who like teaches you how to find party members. And if you keep her long enough, she actually like transforms into a high pixie, which is like gets you a great stat boost and a whole bunch of other shit. So like it's pixies are always good because they teach you like certain mechanics of the games, and I've always liked that. And so yeah, so that's my favorite Fae and why. Uh, if you want to ask a question that is uh, featured at the beginning of episodes, uh, you can do so at any tier on patreon.com slash cavalcade of tales. And now, time for the actual subject of today's episode. So one thing uh, that people kind of have fun with is the fact that, like, Arthuriana never really has, like, a proper canon. Because, like, there's so many sources, there's so many different countries that are uh, have various interpretation sometimes you'll have the same story but it's translated three times or characters are made more or less important so although it seems weird that i'm doing another arthuriana re episode it's the kind of thing where like if in the spirit of arthuriana uh re-releasing it a and talking about the canon every now and again with a bunch of stories you thought would be fun is uh completely in in line with everything so what i decided to do for this week is I'm going to play off of a concept in the Monty Python movie called Sir Not Appearing in This Film. So what I did is, part of the opus of this episode was when I was doing research on the fairies, I kept running into random bits where fairy lore and Ariana mix. And although that happened in Cereza and the Lost Demon, that wasn't what I was going for with the episode. I wanted to stick mainly to the Celtic Fae thing. 
because there is like a touch of Arthuriana in it, but it goes into spoiler territory and I really want people to play the game or watch a playthrough and kind of experience it on their own. So I kind of neglected it, but I always kept like tabs open of every time I found that stuff. So what I did is I went down a research spiral. Um, some people, if you've ever had to do research for like a multitude of topics, you've probably run into this where you start researching one thing and then you see a name pop up and you're like, who the fuck is that? So then you go down a deeper de rabbit hole. Um, that's kind of how this episode turned into is I found a bunch of random knights that don't really show up that often or are like kind of lesser known knights in the vast Arthuriana and uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. These are all the knights that would probably be uh, certain not appearing in this film whether it be due to complications of their story, the subject matter, uh, when they were introduced, just little things like that. Um, apologies in advance for my butchering of the French and uh, Welsh languages. I'm a little more comfortable with my French than I am my Welsh, but um, apologies in advance because there's going to be a lot of French and like some smattering of Welsh here and there. But yeah, so welcome to <laughs> Sir Not Appearing in This Film. Arthuriana Redux. So our first knight is the knight known as Gingalane. This is the titular character of a poem no called Le Belle Connu uh, by Renaud de Bayeux, who wrote it around sometime between 1180 and 1230. Uh, there is some debate about whether or not that Gingalane is also the character Gilgois, who was in a 13th century poem. But uh, there is some controversy because there are many stories about, like, the children of knights and fairies, so it could be just a different thing altogether. So Gingalane is the child of Gawain and the fair Blancmal, and uh, Gawain kind of just fucks off as he does. Um, if we remember anything from the first Arthuriana episode, he's a busy, busy knight. Uh, so uh, Gilgalane grows up not knowing anything about his lineage. Uh, he doesn't even realize he wants to be a knight until uh, a, he finds the corpse of a knight in the enchanted forest where he and his mother grow up. So he's like, that seems awesome. I want to be like this dead guy because, I don't know, goals, I guess. It When I first started thinking about it, I'm like, that's weird as hell. But then I'm just like, everybody's hero, like most people's heroes are dead. And it's safer to have a dead hero. Because then they can't do fucked up shit in the media. Like, could you imagine all those people who are like, J.K. Rowling is my hero, and then all of a sudden the transphobia shit pops up, and you're like, great. I wish my hero was dead. Or my hero doesn't think I'm a person. That's... I'm apologizing in advance, actually, now, because I'm going to be a bit off topic today. Someone's off his meds. So, uh, to prove himself worthy of knighthood, uh, he goes uh, to figure out Camelot, and he goes on to a quest for the enchantress Pucelle à Blanche Mons, or the Maiden of the White Hands. She is the mistress of the Isle d'Or, and he's there to help her uh, fend off the unwanted advances of Malier le Gris, or the Gre Malier the Grey. And he's just like, get the fuck off, the lady said no, man. And so, you know, as everybody knows, Malier the Grey goes off he fights a balrog he comes back as malier the white and then everybody just kind of ignores the fact that like becoming the white one is the best of the different mages but then you know different time and tolkien actually 
and this may seem like it's off track, but Tolkien uh, was a medieval uh, scholar of writing, so it would make sense that he would base his stuff off of, like, Arthuriana and stuff. Hi, Freya. My cat has come and joined me. Do you want to say hi? She's not talkative. She's like, I'm going to slit on your notes because I'm a cat and I like to guard knowledge. So Gingalane decides, he's like, he fights off Meliagor the Grey and Pucelle is overjoyed and she's just like, I will offer you my hand in marriage. You can shack up with me and you're going to become the new lord of the Isle d'Or. However, uh, he is unable, he stays for a little bit, but then has to go back to Arthur's court so he can be knighted. He's not a knight of the round table yet, however. He's just a regular knight. This is an important distinction because there are, like, it's not like a pyramid scheme. That's not the word I'm looking for, but there's, like, a hierarchy of knights in Arthuriana because you got your, like, you got your knights. And a few of the knights I'm talking about today are knights that kind of become knights of the round table or knights that are very close to becoming round table knights. It's like, because you have like Arthur, who's like the king of knights. Then you have your round table knights, who are like your steel team six, uh, except there's way more than fucking six of them. And then you have like your other knights, which were like your army grunts. And then you have like slaves, because it's mid the Middle Ages, and that shit happens all the time. So uh, he goes back to court and has become uh, Sir Le Bel Inconnu. That's the name of the poem, which in French means the handsome stranger. So once knighted, a messenger arrives looking for aid for the Princess of Wales, whose name is Blonde Esmeray, or Esmeray the Fair. She's under siege by the enchanter Maven. La Belle and Canoe is the one who accepts the quest, and he off he goes with the assistance of her lady and awaiting attendant, Hellier. And he goes to the besieged city, uh, fights off Mabon, and saves the Princess of Wales, and she's just like, uh that's amazing thank you for saving me do you want to be my husband because there's a lot of stuff in Arthuriana where it's like you either get a marriage proposal by fighting off the people who are attacking these women or by killing the woman's husband and she's like well clearly you're powerful otherwise you wouldn't have been able to kill my last husband and i need someone to protect my lands because i sure as shit ain't gonna do it so if you like it will you put a ring on it however this becomes a problem for Le Bel Inconnu because now he has to choose between Pucelle, the uh, enchantress who he kind of likes more. He's more attracted to her and likes her. Uh, he, he's like actually romantically interested in her. But Arthur's just like, you should totally get with Esmeray because she's the princess and soon to be queen of Wales. And this will be great, a political tie to have a, the king of Wales be a, a member of my court. And just think of all the good things that'll come from being potentially the next king of Wales. So he's just like, uh, shit, I don't know. So Arthur's like, okay, we'll do it this way. I'm going to hold a tournament to help this to for the suitors of the Princess of Wales. And if you don't come, then you're debasing chivalry because uh, you should be... Uh, able to not only defend and fuck women, you also have to be able to fight and be ready to fight when someone tries to call you out for your shit. There's a whole story that I'm not covering in this one, which means that uh, Arthuriana Part 3, who knows, maybe sometime in the future, uh, where there are different stories. Like, remember how, or we can even go back to in Season 1 where there's Ilvain, 
who the guy with the lion who is gets married but then is so obsessed with the concept of being seen as a good knight that he shuns his wife and like no that's not okay there is another version of the story uh story the story called uh eric and a need and the, one of the big things in that is the fact that uh, Eric is too busy uh, being at home, uh, having sex with his hot wife and not fighting anybody, and people find that weird. Uh, my favorite thing I've heard about it is uh, Dr. Eleanor Yanega talks about it in one of the podcasts she does. And she's like, Gella, uh, f- I don't know why I'm slurring my speech so much. I haven't, like, I'm drinking water. But she's like, fellas, is it gay to love your wife? Question mark. But yeah, so... La, Pousse- uh, La Pousselle, that is not, that is something completely different. That is the ultimate ability of Joan of Arc and Fate Granddaughter. So Gingalane is torn because he's like, I want to be a good knight, but I also love this other woman. And Pousselle is like, I cannot allow this besmirchment on your honor. I love you enough to not stop you from going after your dreams. So what she does is she uses her magic to teleport him out of her castle with a brand new armor, a stunning horse. We're talking gold, beautiful, big. I don't know the horse's gender. Uh, it doesn't go into that. And then like a squire, and he goes and he kicks everybody's ass, and he marries Esmeralda. And so yeah, and like it even goes on the fact where it's just like, yeah, I'm not like in love with you, in love with you, but I can grow to like you, and it's like I don't hate you. And then, uh, because his it's a winner, that's when Gawain's like, oh, by the way, you're my son. Okay, bye. And Gingalane goes off to be the uh, King of Wales. And that's uh, his story. So our next knight is also French, and we are dealing with Brunor Le Noir. Uh, similar to uh, the way that uh, Gareth is kind of contrasted, uh, it begins with Brunor arriving at Arthur's court, wearing his father's old cloak, which is tattered and bloody. And Brunor has sworn that he will never take off this coat until he avenges his father's death. However, this is the French tradition. So there is an interesting thing if you look at the various traditions as time goes on, where there are different knights that are considered the best, and there are different knights that are, like, kind of assholes. So, like, for example, in the French tradition, it's all about Lancelot. Why is it Lancelot? Well, Lancelot is very French. and forgetting the fact that his name is also a pun on like he who fucks um and then there's also the fact that and then so the worst knight in court is sir Kay, arthur's foster brother a lot of the ones where there's a lot of stories where like sir Kay is like you're kind of a bitch so like in the tale of gareth for example he calls him like pretty hands and that's his thing is he likes going in and be like hazing the new guy and being like okay so you know what, Brunor, your name is La Cote Martel, or the Badly Cut Coat. And so Arthur's just like, look, you seem like a capable dude, you know, I understand, you know, I don't love this vendetta thing you got going on though, so I don't know if you're good enough to be a knight because I don't, like, chivalry isn't exactly, you know, keen on vengeance. Um, of course, this being ironic because like some of his knights are fucking around some of his knights kill people we're going to talk about one knight later who is a fucking shitbag um that he's just like i don't want none of this like v for vengeance shit um but then gawain rushes in and he's like um we got a problem 
Guinevere is being chased by a lion. And everyone's like, excuse me, what? So Brunor rushes out and he saves Guinevere from the lion, killing him. And everybody rushes out being like, it's so cool how Lancelot can kill lions. And Gwen's like, Lancelot's not fucking here. The new guy did that. And Arthur's like, okay, you know what? You saved my wife. You killed a lion without even thinking about it. All right, fine. You can be a knight. That's pretty brave and shit. You're not a knight of the round table. But you are a knight. So then a maiden comes in to court and she's holding a large black shield with an emblem of a white hand holding a throne. Sorry, holding a blade. I can't even read my own fucking handwriting symbols. Good lord. So she's just like, the previous knight who carried this was my fiancé and he was killed on a quest to, uh, to for Arthur. I need a new knight, and if they can prove themselves and finish the quest that my fiancé was on, I'll marry them. And Brunor's like, I am a brand new knight who needs some fucking names under my belt. All I've got is this lion shit. I'll do it. And the maiden's like, you? Your hair's dusty. Your edges are uneven. Your coat looks like shit. Really? This is what I'm gonna get? And Arthur's just like, we don't talk like that in my court. You're being very rude. And now, you're getting Brunor. And Kay's like, good luck, la coat ball doll and it's just like and the woman's like great and he's just like all right uh you seem like kind of a bitch so i'm gonna call you maldescent which is the french for evil speaker and she's like i am not giving you my name so everyone's like all right this is awesome we got a new knight and he's already going on a quest what a go-getter uh let's have a party so they set up a jest however sir k ever the asshole in the french tradition is like you know who's a good knight to send against uh brunor dagonet the fool so uh they he's the first to just brunor brunor knocks off his horse immediately uh in true comedic fashion uh dagonet falls head down ass up and oops uh he's like hi what do you think about that maldescent and she's just like you think you're a cool knight because you can beat up a jester? Like, please. Look at him. His whole ass is out. Like, come on. So, so it's like, alright, fine. So two actual knights, uh, Sir Bleobus and Sir Palamus, Palamedes, sorry, uh, comes, and uh, they both kick his ass. They both unhorse him because he's not, because the thing with Brunor is that he is very good at combat while his feet are touching the ground. So it's kind of similar to that, um, the Greek myth. God, why can I never remember his name? Uh, quick cut so I can Google something real quick. Antaeus, that's the name. So Antaeus, uh, was a Greek figure who was the son of Gaia. And he could never be defeated, uh, as long as his feet were touching the ground. And, uh, so one of the things he had to do is, um, his legend is very famous because, uh, Hercules was like, I can't kill you while you're touching the ground. So what he did is he ripped him off over his head and kind of like ripped him in half like Kalima. And that's how that guy died. Um, but for fans of Final Fantasy VIII, which I'm currently playing alongside uh, patron Elise, uh, think of it like the Minotaur fight uh, on disc one where you're getting that Guardian Force where you have to use float on the minotaur because as long as he's touching the ground he like regens health every turn so it's that kind of thing 
Brunor is powerful when he's on the ground, but when he's jousting, he could use some work. He's not a bad jouster, but he's not, like, the best jouster. So, of course, after getting his ass handed by two other knights, Maldesant is just like, oh, dear God, this guy's going to be dead. And she's just like, can we have someone travel, like, can we have, like, a, like a bird so that when this guy dies, like, ten feet away from the castle, I don't have to rush right back to get one knight who actually knows what they're fucking doing to help me? So, off they fuck. And they run into a young knight, Mordred, the uh, king's nephew son. And he needs help saving captured knights in Cap Castle Orgliel. Uh, but the big issue is, is that he can't get to the knights and maidens who are in the castle because he tried to go in by himself because he's not that bright. And he got injured, so he asks Brunor for help. And Maldesant is like, what the fuck is he going to do? So he grabs the shield. He makes it inside, and he uses the shield to repel the fighters while the captured knights and maidens are able to escape. And then he gets out, and Malthasan is like, how dare you touch that shield? You aren't worthy of that shield. And then he's just like, he holds his tongue because he's like, I have to be a good knight. And good knights don't tell their patrons what a fucking bitch they're being. So then as, you know, he's tending to Mordred's wounds, one of the ladies in, that he just rescued is just like, what's this guy's name? Like, he just saved us all. And she's like, what the fuck? Maldasan is like, what are you talking about? He's like, he just used that really big shield and he was like parrying blows and like killing scores of men while like, and like hurting the wounded and us poor defenseless women. Like, is anybody sucking his cock? And she's just like, okay, you need to get out of here. Go, 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 go. Goodbye. And so she's like, interesting. Maybe he's not the cowardly asshole I thought he was, but he still dresses like shit. So, later, the duo find Pendragon Castle, which has currently been taken from Arthur by the villainous Sir Brian. Uh, Sir Brian's knights are just like, you want this castle back? Uh, you'll have to defeat my six knights in a joust. And Brunor is like, uh, I'm a knight, I will accept your challenge. And Maldison is like, oh, fuck me, not jousting again. Oh no, what are we going to do? We're still gonna lose. We're gonna fucking lose. It's like, why can't he fight him on foot? He can fight him on foot just fine, but no, no, let's ride the horse. Let's save our pride. Fucking men in their pissing contests. So Brunor gets on the horse and he beats the first guy and it works out well. And he's just like, all right, here we go. Getting the hang of this. Got it. Uh, he's like, who's next? And then the other five knights gang up on him and all attack him from each side on their horses. So he gets knocked out and him and Maldesant are captured. And so they have to wait in the dungeon until Lancelot comes, and he fights uh, Brian and takes back Castle Pendragon. And Maldesant like is like, "Thank you. Can you please ride with us? Because we keep running into issues, and we're never gonna finish this quest with just Brunor because we keep running into all these issues. Like we keep finding all these knights who are angry, and like he's and Lancelot's like, I'll ride with you, but you need to." fucking hop off his dick because you are constantly riding him you are constantly rude to him and he is not being mean to you he is doing the best he can he is an excellent fighter the only reason you two were captured was because those men were unchivalrous and assholes you decided that once they realized that they were dealing with someone who could deal with shit they teamed up on him so you need to fucking knock it off and she's like okay look i know i'm a bit high strung i'm just worried I mean, I'm not going to lie, I am slightly attracted to him, 
and I am starting to realize that he is not as bad a knight as I seem. I'm sure the coat thing is something important. It's really gross. And Lancelot's like, that's his dead dad's coat, you stupid bitch. And she's like, oh, that makes more sense. She's like, listen, I can't be nice to him because my fiance died recently and I have to marry whoever's powerful enough to wield this shield. And it's, and so I'm trying to protect myself because if I can't fall for this guy too quickly, because what if he dies again? I don't want to get hurt again. And Lancelot's like, that's relatively fair. So, by accompanied with Lancelot, they reach the next castle, the end of their journey, which is being held by Sir Plenorius. And in Sir Plenorius's employ, Brunor realizes it's the man who killed his father. So he's like, you and me, bitch, let's dance. And the other guy's like, well, we're knights, so we're going to fight for this. So they start fighting, and Brunor is able to kill him, the other knight. However, he gets very wounded in the process. And so Sir Plarius is just like, all right, kill these guys. They're killing my soldiers. And Lancelot's like, I think the fuck not. And just starts slapping Sir Planorus around. And he's like, fine, 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 fine. Okay. Quest is completed. You won. You can stay in my castle until Brunor's heals wound. And then you gotta get the fuck out. So Brunor is lying in bed, badly injured. He finally takes off his coat because he's avenged his father. Maldesant apologizes for the way she's been treating him. Worried that... Uh, she was a bad person because she was falling in love with a man too quickly after her fiance died which is like a little fair but like it is what it is so she's like I do actually care for you and thank you for fulfilling this quest you are worthy enough to be my husband so she's the one who nurses him back to health and Lancelot's like good on you so then they return to Camelot and on Pentecost uh, Brunor Lenoir is made a knight of the round table he then uh, asks Arthur for permission to marry the woman he has been working with, who reveals her name is actually Buvivante, which means well-living. So they get married. Lancelot gives them Castle Pendragon as a wedding gift, and they live happily ever after until the fall of Camelot, when everything gets fucked. But we don't have anything about what he's doing at the end of Camelot. So the next character I'm going to talk about uh, is Palamedes. Palamedes doesn't really have a lot to go on in his story because he mainly shows up in bits and pieces in other people's stories. But this really is an excuse for me to talk about one of my favorite bits of Arthuriana, which is the questing beast, which is super fun. So we're going to talk about the questing beast and then I'll touch upon uh, Sir Palamedes and what he does. Um, he, he was also, again, one of the knights who faced off against Brunor, uh, however... Uh, it was better a better jouster than him because they're more experienced. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about the Questing Beast. So the Questing Beast is known, also known in French as Le Bête Galissante, uh, which is a monster with the head and neck of a snake, the body of a leopard, the haunches of a lion, and the feet of an elk. Uh, it's known as the Galissante because it comes from the French word galipissant, meaning yelping or barking, similar to dogs. The uh, really funny thing about it is that it is widely considered that the description for the questing beast is just a medieval misunderstanding of what a giraffe looks like. And I, if you don't think that is the tightest fucking shit, then this is not the podcast for you, hon. 
that is the funniest fucking thing in my world like i love it and so because yeah because i got it's what happens when like people from england get the description of what giraffes look like from fucking the middle east and they're just like this beast has a long neck and face like a snake but it has feet like a stag and it's spotted like a leopard what kind of terrifying monster is this and it makes weird noises fuck that shit that is scary as hell not knowing it's a herbivore so there's a few like origin stories for the questing beast the first is it's a portent because uh as as mentioned in the first arthuriana episode way back in season one episode two uh mordred is the incest child of uh arthur and his sister morgan uh granted to play devil's advocate he didn't know morgan was his sister so like but after the deed is done and they find out a child has been born uh, he sees a beast in a dream which foretells the kingdom's downfall at the hands of the child born of the ins- of an affair of incestuousness. So he goes to Merlin and he's like, Merlin, what the fuck are we going to do? Uh, I fucked up, man. Apparently I banged my sister. Everything's going to shit. What are we going to do? And Merlin's like, well, based off of your dream and the symbology you told me about it, the child would have to have been born on May Day. So the smartest move is to round up all the children born in May. We're going to put them on a boat. We're going to put the boat out in the sea. And we're going to sink the boat. The It's, you know, killing a baby is a lot easier than killing whatever grown adult is going to come kill you later. Uh, so he does. Uh, Arthur ga- has all the children who were born in May gathered up, puts a bunch of infants on a boat, goes out and ships it. However, due to magical intervention... Mordred just uh, completely washes up on shore, uninjured and unharmed, because his his fate is, uh, his destiny is to uh, destroy Camelot. Uh, everyone's also, like, really pissed off that Arthur's just like, give me all your kids so I can just sink them on a boat. And that's in the versions of Arthuriana where um, that's part of the opus for Arthur getting, making, like, the round table knights, like, the second echelon of knights, is to... Uh, improve relations with people whose children he just uh, low-key killed uh, by uh, putting their other children's nephews and cousins into higher level positions of management. So in most versions of the Questing Beast tale, this has to do with the family of King Pelinor. And he's asking for assistance because he's his family has had the Sisyphean task of hunting and killing the Questing Beast. And he's just like, please help me with this. And Merlin's just like, the questing beast and he's like yes do you know the beast's tale and he's like of course i do so once upon a time there was this woman and she was a young princess she was very beautiful had many suitors but the only person she could fall in love with was her older brother so the interesting thing with the questing beast is like unfortunately there's always going to be incest um the questing beast was born because she made a deal with the devil to trick her brother into sleeping with her and then when their father found out the daughter lied and claimed that the son had raped her so the son uh, was ordered to be torn apart by hunting dogs. The king, very pissed. They, um, so the son, outraged that he had been tricked, both by the devil and his sister, to be ripped apart by dogs, cursed his sister, saying that any, if the, any spawn that will come out of her will be an abomination that makes the same sound as the hounds that are about to tear him limb from limb. And thus the questing beast was born, and that's, that marks back to that glissant 
meaning the barking of dogs. So now we'll actually go to the part about the knight. So there is a knight known as Palamedes, and he is no, he's originally called the Saccharine Knight, and he's the one who really takes up the quest to kill the kill, questing beast. Uh, but the thing is, is that this is a Arthuriana story in the later tradition. We'll do Welsh stories probably in a, in that episode, uh, future Arthuriana episode, because there's plenty of shit I can do Arthurian episodes up the ass. But he's just like he keeps trying to hunt down the beast uh, because he's just like he also has this like fun feud going with Tristan because he's like he's also in love with Isolde so he's like what I'm gonna do is I know Isolde is down to cuck her husband because at this point she's already married to King Mark and um, she's just having sex with Tristan on the side because Tristan won her for King Mark as we all remember from the Fatal Lovers episode of season one however He's just like, well, clearly, if she's down to step out on our marriage, uh, I will kill the questing beast. That'll impress her. And uh, then uh, I can fuck her. However, this doesn't work. The questing beast uh, consents his uh, fuckery and his uh, non-Christianity. So he can never track the beast. So after a long time, he just kept failing and failing and failing. Until he receives the help of the knight Percival. And Percival's like, dude... You know why you can't find the questing beast? It's because you're not holy enough. So Percival helps him convert to Christianity and helps him give up some of his desire for the world, like the more material world, the sins of the flesh and whatnot. So, and because he was able to be like, you're right, I believe in Jesus. Jesus doesn't want me to fuck a married man's wife. Um, we're going to ignore the fact that we're surrounded by knights who are doing that. I am ready. Let's hunt this fucking questing beast. And he's like, cool, you can travel with, uh, you know, Percival's like, you can travel with me, Galahad, and Bors. We're we're hunting for the grail. We can give you some hand. You know, we can go out Christianing up. He's like, thanks, virgins. So off they go. <laughs> and he and Galahad are able to track the uh, beast and, like, corner it so it falls into the lake and has, because it, it's got... It can't swim. It's got fucking deer feet. And once it's, you know, struggling in the water, Palamedes is able to go in for the kill. And he's the person who slayed the questing beast. The questing beast, uh, fun fact, also a very interesting Mag Magic the Gathering card. And if anybody's really good at uh, altering magic cards, um, let me know. Because I think it would be really hilarious to have a magic card alter of the questing beast, but it'd just be a like a hyper-realistic photo of a giraffe. Because I, I don't know, that I, that would tickle me very much. So our next knight that uh, would not appear in this film, this one's going to be a bit of a shorter entry, uh, is the fool knight Dagonet. Not just uh, a you know bumbling fool to put against Brunor. He's got his own little batch of stories. So he's often a knight, and sometimes he's the court jester. Uh, he's usually there to like juxtapose like the like actions of the main knight in question and uh, also to kind of lighten the mood because these are stories and sometimes you need to have some little fun with it like think of the amount of editorializing i do in these like y you need a dagonet uh so as the official fool he is often sometimes picked on by knights uh, there's one version where he pisses off tristan so he picks him up and dunks him in a well being like uh how dare you make fun of me for fucking a married woman when lancelot's right there uh, and then he's just like he even like takes Dagonet's sword and slices a page who tries to help him being like no 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 the uh, fucking Dagonet deserves this 
um there is a version of palamedes tale that kind of goes a little bit back and gives uh Dagonet a tragic backstory so in this version he was originally a great knight one of uh friggin arthur's best but then he went mad because his wife was raped by his best friend helior the thorn and when he, at he so he went on a fucking vengeance quest killed helior the thorn and when he returned back home to his wife she had killed herself um one could argue that this backstory for him is similar to a famous famous slurring a little there again a ta roman tale called the rape of lucretia which was used to justify the end of the monarchy in rome and the switch over to the senate um arthur uh taking pity on his great knight who has gone fucking batshit nuts uh keeps him and just makes him the jester because there's nothing more fun than making fun of the mentally ill uh there's one story where king mark is because he's still around trying to mess with tristan and he tries to invade camelot while lancelot's away so everyone's like we need to figure out something so what they do is they take Dagonet and they put him in uh mordred's finest battle armor and parade him out there like he's lancelot and everybody sees him and he's this big imposing knight doing crazy like movements with a sword they're like oh he's he's like a savant we need to get out of here so he chases away uh mark's men until lancelot comes back and you know does what he does um one of the things uh normally a lot of the versions i pay attention to are the more medieval versions I don't stray into Tennyson's too much. It's not an indictment of Tennyson. It's more of a lack of familiarity. But I did find something that talks about how Dagonet, as the fool, he does like the Council of the Wise insane person where he's just like, you're all terrible knights and nobody's going to be able to see the grail because uh, Arthur is a holy king surrounded by demons uh because it's just like the knights are in the you know you got gawain who tells lies you have agravain who we're going to talk about next who's an asshole lancelot stripping someone's wife so and so stripping someone's wife tristan stripping someone's wife <laughs> there's a lot everybody's fucking it people are not supposed to he's like nobody's going to be able to hear it and arthur cannot win with knights who cannot hear the plan of god and dagonet is then rebuffed because uh, Arthur's just like, my knights are holy. And he's like, one of them stood on your wife. And he's like, just because you have jester's privilege does not mean you can make jokes about my wife. And he kind of just smacks him around a bit. And then uh, everything goes a bit tits up for Arthur. So our next knight uh, has uh, helps out with some of the family dynamics of the uh, greater knight cycle. Because this is Agravain. So Agravain is the brother to Gawain, Gaharis, and Gareth. Who are also all uh friggin arthur's nephews and so agravain is the second eldest and before in like his early versions he's known as either agravain the proud or and here we go some more french agravain of dumans which is agravain of the hard hand uh in most versions he's the second eldest it goes gawain then agravain gaharis then gareth uh, he's also, however, the tallest of the siblings, and he's very handsome with a very powerful skill. There's a lot of people who are like, he'd be the perfect knight, but he's uh, known for his malice and villainy. 
So in, let me find the source I wrote down. So in the Lancelot Grail cycle, uh, Lancelot parts three and four, the edited version by Norris J. Lacey, he is described as, quote, a fine knight, end quote. However, quote, arrogant and full of evil words, jealous of all other men. And then they all, end quote. And then there's also the fact that he was, quote, without pity or love and had no good qualities save for his beauty, his chivalry, and his quick tongue. Which, I mean, what does that tongue do, though? Anyway, so in most versions, Agravain, Gawain, and Gaharis are the three eldest, and they go to Camelot first, and they're like, we're all going to go, we're all going to be knights, and Agravain's like, I'm going to get knighted first, and Gaharis is like, you're a prick. <laughs> you're not going to get knighted first, and Gawain's like, we all need to stop fighting. So Gaharis and uh, Agravain are constantly fighting, and Agravain, uh, and Gawain's constantly having to go in and break it up. Things get to a head when Agravain uh, starts doing some gross locker room talk, and he's just like, I'm so powerful and beautiful i could force myself on women and it wouldn't be a problem and gaharis is like that's really fucked up that's some fucked up shit you're saying right there gaharis um unjustly makes him angry for uh, pointing out the uh, obvious fact that rape isn't cool uh, and they get into a big fist fight that gawain has to break up and he's like you two need to cut the shit uh gaharis stop fighting with your brother you know he's a moron Agravain, rape's not cool, dumbass. Stop making jokes about it. So, uh, Agravain vows, he's like, I am never speaking to Gaharis again until I am knighted by King Arthur himself. However, things start to change, and Gawain and them all go out on separate quests. Gawain gets captured, however, on one of his quests, and Merlin receives a prophetic prophecy, and he's just like, Gaharis is going to go and he's going to show such bravery and courage, release his brother Gawain from captivity, and he will be such a good knight that he will be the one who will knight his other brothers. And Agravain hears that and he's like, Merlin always picked fucking favorites. He never liked me. And so he's just like, the easiest way to make sure that Gaharis is not the one who knights me because I want King Arthur to knight me is to behead my own brother. You know, just normal thoughts. So, he starts following Gaharis, and he, he puts on various disguises, and he tries to go fight Gaharis, but each time Gaharis beats his ass and gets within an inch of killing him, and he's like, cut the shit up. He's like, I'm on a quest to save my brother. I don't have time to kill you. Knock it off. And because this keeps happening, Agravain has to uh, acknowledge that Gaharis is a better fighter and knight than him. And although he never speaks to him, uh, he does um, acknowledge his skill and he stops trying to behead him. Uh, there is a point later on. So let me... Da, 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 da. I have to skip ahead because I wrote about this in a different part. So a part happens later because I didn't focus too much on Gaharis because he doesn't do much other than this. And then later, he's the one who kills his mother because uh, Lamorak, who is the son of King Pelinor, the king who has to fight the questing beast, tricks their mother into betraying Camelot. And then so Gaharis, in a rage, goes and kills his own mother. Aggravate and Gawain are like, dude, that's not fucking cool. So Gawain goes and he kills Gaharis, and Aggravate's just like, 
I'm going to go kill Lamorak, the son of King Pelinor, who was the guy who tricked our mother into betraying Camelot in the first place. He's like, uh, but, and he's like, Gawain's like, no, we, he's like, maybe you're, I shouldn't be hasty. You should, I shouldn't kill Harris. He's like, no, go kill Harris. Fuck that guy. But like, I'm also going to take care of this other guy. Like, leave nobody who crossed us. <laughs> so then in the Lancelot Grail cycle, which is also uh, called the Vulgate cycle for reasons I can't remember off the top of my head right now, uh, Agravain is a key player in uh, everything going wrong. So he he actually gets his own chapter named after him. Uh, the chapter starts with him being a major douchebag. So he's like, I'm going to go to the uh, help King Treadlemont because I'm in love with his daughter and he has betrothed her to Duras the Cruel. And if she's going to marry anybody who's an asshole, it's going to be me. So off he goes and he fights another knight and he cuts them. And then he starts making fun of the knight, claiming that the knight looks like a maiden because the wound that he gave him looks like a vaginal opening, to which the maiden the knight was protecting is like, fuck you, buddy. May, your, may the arm that hit him be as useless as the dick you think is good. I'm editorializing a lot, I know, but it's I think it's more fun this way. And if, uh, if you find it uh, problematic, please let me know, and I'll try to be better in future episodes. Uh, next... Um, he gets a curse placed on his leg because um, being a, a horrible shitbag, uh, Agravain attempts to uh, force himself onto a woman uh, after saving her from some bandits. He's like, well, I saved you. And she's just like, that doesn't mean I have to fuck you. And he's like, yes, it does. So he gets gross and rapey, and then, but he stops because he notices that the woman's leg is injured from a farming accident and the leg is infected. He's like, you, never mind. I don't want a dirty woman. And she's like, I'm gonna curt your left leg is gonna go croupulent and pus ridden just as my leg and hope and so nobody will fuck you because you won't be even able to stand, you piece of shit. I'm being very harsh on Agravain, uh, because he deserves it. Fuck this guy. Uh as I was doing the research for this, I'm like, wow, not only do I have to add like fourteen trigger warnings to this episode, this guy just fucking sucks. Don't be like Agravain, kids. And if you're a child, don't listen to this podcast. I say fuck too much. So he goes, he defeats Duma Duras the Cruel, and the uh, king, Treadlamont, is like, fine, you can marry my daughter. And he's like, thank you. So he's gifted a castle as a wedding gift from the Duke of Cambenic. And so he and his wife go, and they're about to, you know, go on their honeymoon when the curses kick in. And essentially, he can't use the left half of his body, so he can't swing a sword and his legs, and he's just in terrible pain. And he's like, holy shit, my actions have consequences. A part of me wonders if these curses, um, um, here, let me actually have to do with, like, epilepsy or, like, strokes, um, but I will touch upon that after giving more information, because the, uh, cure that he is told to use in order to stop these curses is to put the blood of the first and second best knights of Camelot on those wounds, and the blood has to be given willingly. And if he, if the blood is wiped on those wounds, his injuries will heal, which is very interesting because it makes me think of like old uh, stroke and uh, epilepsy cures. Because there was an ancient Roman tradition where uh, gladiator blood would be used to try to help people with fits of epilepsy. Um, I don't 
have a hundred percent collaboration about any of these facts this is just a theory i came up with as i was talking about it right now so Agravain's like, well, my brother Gawain is very good. He's probably the best knight in Camelot right now. So he calls up, he sends a messenger. Gawain's like, my brother's injured. Which one? Uh, Agravain? Fine, I'll help him. So he goes and he gives some blood and he's, and he's able to heal uh, Agravain's leg because he's the second best knight. And he's like, you're only the second best knight? And he's like, yeah. He's like, you're, he's like, no, you're more powerful than I am. Who could be more powerful than you? And he's like, oh, well, there's this guy called Lancelot. And like, he is a very good knight and agravan's like nobody's better than our family and he's just like he's like you need to set your pride away i'll talk to lancelot we're buddies and i'll see if i can get him to donate some blood to fix your arm and so lancelot does but agravan is not too pleased that a of the four knights of his family one of which is currently dead none of them are the best knight he thinks because he was he's fine with Gawain being a better knight than him but he is not fine with someone outside the family being a better knight than him he's like who the fuck is this Lancelot dude so he learns through discussions with Morgan Le Fay that Guinevere is having an affair and he's just like well we can't have this I'm the king's nephew how bad is it going to look on our family if the king is getting cucked so he tells Arthur he's like somebody's shipping the queen here's what we're going to do I'm gonna where you're gonna go on an all night hunting party. Myself, Gareth, and a bunch of knights are all gonna surround Guinevere's chambers, but hidden, so that we can catch whoever's stupid your wife. And Arthur's like, I'll do this, but like I think uh, just so that I would rather have a clear conscience, knowing once and for all that my knights and I believe that my wife is incapable of cheating on me. And Agravan's like, okay, bud, but whatever. Half the knights are fucking married women anyway. You let Tristan around here, and he's been fucking as old for months. And so Arthur goes on a night hunt, and Lancelot goes to, you know, fuck Guinevere. Agravan and the knights jump out, and they try to restrain Lancelot. However, Lancelot is too strong. He fights back, and he escapes, and he kills Gareth. And Agravan is pissed, because he's like, not Gareth, the brother that I liked because Gareth is the nice one. He didn't do anything wrong. So Agravain's just like, okay, first off, Lancelot, this alleged best knight, is the one who's stripping the king's wife. But the king's wife shouldn't be stripping anybody but her husband. So this is uh, like a tantamount to treason. So let's burn her at the stake. So he starts getting all the preparations planned to burn her at the stake. And word gets back to Lancelot, and Lancelot's like, oh, hell no, they're not going to burn Guinevere at the stake. So Lancelot rushes in, finds Agravain, and he's like, you. And Agravain's like, I'm going to kill you, you killed my brother. And Agravain's like, I'm going to kill you, you're going to kill the woman I love, you fucking psychopath. They fight. Lancelot beheads Agravain and puts his head on a pike as a reminder to let people know not to fuck with Guinevere just because he's not there. And that's the end of the villainous knight Agravain. So our penultimate knight today is going to be a smaller one. This is the knight Dinadan. Um, so this is a little weird knight. He shows up uh, in usually stories when they start to kind of port the Tristan and Isolde tor story into like Arthurian as a whole. And so there's Dinadan, who is a friend of Tristan. So he's known for his pragmatism and his uh, lack of interest in chivalric romance. 
He is also, uh, in some stories, the younger brother to Brunor Lenoir. Uh, who, but apparently he didn't take his father's death as bad as Brunor did, but, you know, what are you going to do? So, Dinadan prefers not to fight, and uh, he believes that uh, many knights have been led to ruin by trying to impress women, and, uh, and like, there's been a lot of issues with, like, knights fucking married people's wives and causing, like, straight-up wars. Uh, sometimes the, um, like cynical discussions and comments of Dinadan are kind of like foreshadowing for the Lancelot um, destruction of Camelot thing. Uh, there's also some versions, including an Italian tale that I didn't take too many notes on, but uh, because it was Italian and I uh, didn't learn enough Italian to read it, um, where he's kind of misogynistic, which is kind of an ick. But he's just like, and like there's versions where he's like, He's, he goes to his old and he's like, oh, it must be so hard having two men who constantly want to fuck you. I just do good deeds because I want to do good deeds, not to get laid. And she's just like, you're an asshole and this didn't need to be said. So uh, the uh, one of the other uh, interesting things is that Dinadan is the only person who can uh, recognize people, apparently. Because there's a lot of times in these stories where there's a fighting between two knights on the same side because they don't realize that. Or, like, knights disguising themselves as other knights. Because apparently if you're not carrying your shield with your specific knight crest on it, everybody's like, well, it could be anybody in that large thing of metal. Like, clearly we don't know what anybody looks like. And Dinadan's like, really? You don't know what your friend's face or eyes look like? You don't know who it is in that armor? You don't realize that you're like for example that's clearly not lancelot that's fucking dagonet because lancelot's a whole five inches taller than him <laughs> and wearing someone else's armor uh it gets to a point where da uh, uh dinadan is like hey tristan lay down your weapons the knight that's coming is our boss arthur put down your fucking sword dumbass <laughs> So he's kind of just there to be like, he's also like some of the comedic relief and being like the, um, the thing I could think of was the like, uh, in ex example is like when everybody's about to go hunt for the Holy Grail, but they have to deal with the fact that like only the Holy Knights can really get near the Grail. And Lancelot's like, I will go get the Grail. And I've imagined it and they'll be and they're like, what are you talking about, Lewis? You're stooping the king's wife. You're not, you're, you're as holy as this ward on my foot, bitch. No. Um, one of the major things Dinadan does, unfortunately, is uh, he is uh, considered the first casualty of the Camelot Civil War. So when Mordred is off and he's starting to get ready to try to take over Camelot, uh, he and Agravaine run into Dinadan on his way back from Cornwall because Dinadan's not pleased that King Mark of Tristan and Isolde uh, was given the throne of Cornwall, and he's just like, no, 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 I'm gonna go talk to Arthur about this, this is a bit shit. And, however, Dinadan is, uh, Lord uh, Lamorak, son of King Pelinor. Uh, he was his best friend. So Agravain is just like, I killed his best friend, but I don't like the fact that he was even associated with the man who turned my mother against Camelot, who then was killed by my brother, who then was killed by my other brother. But, it didn't matter because I didn't like the original brother in the first place. So Mordred and Agravain team up and they ambush uh, and leave him fatally wounded on the side of the road. Uh, 
luckily um Hector de Marie who is Lancelot's half-brother finds Dinadan on the road and he brings him to Camelot to try to get to his wounds tended Lancelot goes to him and he's like who did this to you and with his dying breath Dinadan is like don't trust Mordred and then boom dead uh so he is considered the first casualty of the Camelot civil war so our final night for today and our last lineup of uh sir not appearing in this film is not from the english french or welsh traditions i actually thought this story was kind of neat so i took one from the germanic tradition so this is lohengrin lohengrin there we go so this is the son of percival and the knight of the swan he is the main character in one of the germanic reimaginings of cru the crusader cycle by author wolfram von eschenbach so originally back in the crusades uh, they used uh, various tales to try to be like no europe should be in charge of jerusalem because like our like uh, clearly jesus was a white man from oxford so they were like here's the story of the knight of the swan who was an Englishman, who his progeny were meant to be the rightful kings of Jerusalem. Um, Eschenbach, uh, in the time period trying to uh, work on some German nationalism, not as like bad as like some of the other German nationalism, like I know a lot of red flags go up with German nationalism, uh, but like he didn't go as far, at, like this is a precursor to like uh, Wagner's The Ring Cycle and shit like that. In fact, Wagner reimagines uh, the story of Lohengrin as a, an opera as a sequel to his famous opera Percival which is based off of the uh, French unfinished poem so what Eschenbach does is he's just like not only were these people supposed to be the original uh, kings of Jerusalem uh, they were knights of the round table who found the holy grail and then moved to Germany because Germany is the holy land so what it is, is Percival becomes the Grail King, and he has twin sons who are Loegrin and Cardiez. And uh, Percival, as the Grail King, cannot uh, own secular land. Like, he's like, yeah, I gotta get rid of this land. So he's like, so one, but he has twins, so he's like, who do I give this to? Uh, being the uh, holier and younger twin, Loegrin is just like, I don't need this land father i wish to stay by your side and join the services of a grail knight uh, so cardiez uh, inherits the land so uh Lohengrin becomes a grail knight and grail knights the like tldr of it is that they are knights who go and they assist lands and keep the land safe until a male heir is found when a male heir is missing so in the tale of the swan knight there is the land of brabant the duke has died and the only uh, current family member who is living is a young woman named elsa and she's just like oh shit all our neighbors are gonna come in here and ruin our kingdom so as the city is under siege she makes her way to the river to try to escape and Loengrin appears in a boat being pulled by swans and he's just like hello do you need my help and she's just like I can always use the help of hot men escorted by birds. And he's just like, I will help you and stabilize your kingdom, but I have one thing you have to do. You can never ask me my name. And she's just like, weird ask, but I don't want to die. Let's do this. So he hops off the boat 
d fights all the enemies and he's and then he pops down on one knee and he's like congratulations let's get married and she's like okay so he and the duchess become married so after years of defending the land and he uh, is able to provide Elsa with a son in order to properly distinguish a line of succession, uh, the family starts getting suspicious because they're like, listen, Elsa, it's really rough constantly saying Elsa because thanks to Disney's Frozen, like, I can't stop thinking of this being like, so they uh, went to, for, oh God, what was her name? Uh, she also did Wicked. So it's like every time I think, because I can't think about Fr Elsa without thinking about Frozen. I can't think about Frozen without thinking about Wicked. So it's like, Alphaba, you green witch. <laughs> but Elsa is like, hey, Elsa, what's up with your husband? Nobody knows his name. And he's like, she's like, well, he came in a boat piloted by swans. And he said he would protect us if I didn't ask his name. And they're like, that seems very suspicious. Like, you're a duchess. What if he's just some poor man? And she's like, what kind of poor man has swans? And they're like, who said they were his swans? Maybe he captured them. Maybe some weird barbarian man who like hunts swans for sport to fucking drive them around his boats. And who uses swans as boats? This is the fucking Middle Ages. Swan boats aren't a cute idea. Swans are vicious little bastards. They're like, they're like gentrified geese. And it's like, what if they weren't swans? What if they were geese that he painted white? And she's like, all right, all right, all right listen he's my husband he kept us safe stop asking questions but that little seed of doubt was planted and so she was just like you know i again because i have an active imagination I imagine they're both in bed she's got her like he's in bed he's got like his book on like world war ii or something it's like very sitcom-y where like they're in like she's in like a nightgown and he's like in like a dress weird dress shirt and like very peg bundy and al and she's just like all right fine fuck it i can't i can't take it anymore what's your name and he's just like and like i imagine like taking off his little glasses and like closing the book he's reading he's like well my name is Lograin. i am the son of the grail king percival i have it is my duty to assist countries um and uh help them in times of need however the job is meant to be thankless so as so they can never know my name because if they learn my name they can thank me properly for what i have done and you have broken our pact and since this is loosely arthuriana based we're we're dealing with fairy rules so i'm gonna get back on my boat of swans and you're never gonna see me again and he just rides his swan boat off into the sunset and he is never seen in brabant again but his lot but he also kind of still did his job though because like elsa just has to because now Elsa's region until her son becomes king. So, yeah, that's Loagrin the Swan Knight. And that's going to do it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed this return to Arthuriana. There's, it's such a massive corpus. Like, I could, I could do Arthuriana for, like, a whole season. I'm not going to, but I could. And, like, I even mentioned there are stories I still could do. Like, there's Eric and Anid. There's Colwalk and Owen. There's Lancelot on the cart. Like, don't worry if you're worried that like this might be like this isn't going to be the last Arthurian episode I just it was kind of a thing where I'm like this is a lot of weird little nights and this might be fun but I hope you enjoyed this episode uh, if you liked it uh, please rate and review us on your podcast catcher of choice uh, tell your friends um, remember if you you can support the podcast fiduciarily at patreon.com slash cavalcade of tales 
if you want to contact me uh you can find me on multiple social medias uh at white trash historian uh currently that is my name on instagram tiktok and i'm now on goodreads uh where you can look at the fact that i have too many books and i never fucking read any of them um i know i said this episode was going to be educational but what i found was that the episode i originally had planned to do for today is uh, more suited for a patreon bonus episode uh if you want to go back to uh weekly content uh, that's a patreon uh, perk is they get weekly episodes uh but yeah thank you all for listening i'll talk to you all again in two weeks uh for a topic i frankly haven't decided yet um not i have the week after decided i just haven't figured out this one but yeah uh have a good week uh blessed be bye